Welcome to the Where Humanity Meets Technology podcast, where we talk to business leaders about cybersecurity, data management, and advanced digital solutions to provide strategies to increase the profitability of your company. Now, here's your host, Maurice Hamilton, the CEO of Infinivate Consultancy Services. Hello, everyone. My name is Maurice Hamilton. I want to welcome everyone to my podcast, Where Humanity Meets Technology, where we interview different subject matter experts. Uh, chiefs, information officers, security officers, CEOs of different organizations and different business leaders out there to talk about trends and technology. Today, we actually have a a special, unique guest to me because this is a unique guest because I had a chance to meet Roop Singh. Um, by the way, let me tell you a little bit about Roop. Roop, Roop is the author of the uh, the blockchain strategy book called Profits and, 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 Ch- and Chaos, which I like that title, love that title, Roop. Uh, he is a venture architect, and for those who need a little bit of uh, experience with that or uh, understanding of that, a venture architect is a person who is an expert in launching new applications for organizations such as blockchain, and Roop may talk a little bit about that. Uh, you've appeared on TED Talks a couple of times speaking about blockchain, and you are an educator and a technology strategist. And and Roop, so welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you today. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. This is going to be a great, a great interview. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I normally don't do this, but today I want to actually kind of uh, back it up a little bit just to give the audience a little bit about uh, my experience in working with Roop. Uh, uh, back in 2018, there was a big craze going on with the blockchain. And I said I wanted to learn more about blockchain. And then I actually found Roop there, and Roop was teaching a class on blockchain, which actually gave more specifics on the the fundamentals of blockchain. So I actually attended a course, and and the course that Roop actually has set up, it was a a four-day course, and we had two classes one week and two classes the following week. We had about 14 different modules. And during these two days, which it was really like a boot camp, and matter of fact, it was called Blockchain Strategy for Business Leaders. And it was really a really good fundamental understanding of blockchain. So we actually had a chance to find out who was this Satoshi Nakamoto, Nakamoto, make sure I'm saying his name right, uh, the Bitcoin, because that was the big hype at that time. Uh, We learned all aspects of blockchain utilization. We learned about the differences between decentralization and centralization. We learned about smart contracts, cryptocurrency, uh, the different platform applications, um, hash, what, what the differences are between SHA-256 and the different hash. So it was a really, really great course that Roop was actually my instructor that he kind of broke it down and gave us the fundamentals of it. And uh, so, Roop, I want to thank you because uh, the reason I brought that up, uh, because now that I take that particular class, I had a chance to really learn a lot more about more than just this is bigger than Bitcoin. This is way bigger than that. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of like, you, you taught us how to learn about the basic of blockchain and how that can actually go back and and fundamentally change the way the industry, uh, the way we do business. And uh, and I think that ecosystem and that framework that you put together when you and I reached out um, a week or two ago, I said, wait a minute, we could take a look at this and say, maybe we can help different organizations today understand or take those same kind of boot camp type uh, classes and they can learn the fundamentals like we did and so we can make it more applicable to their industries, especially when we're looking at uh, supply chain, uh, distribution, logistics, transportation, because there's so many different aspects of it. 
So Roop, um, that was a really great class, and maybe you could tell, shed a little bit more light on it. But I was really happy with the uh, the boot camp uh, that we took there with the uh, blockchain strategy for business leaders, and, and maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, thanks for the kind introduction. Um, I am glad to be here. Good to see you after so many years. You were one of the stellar students in the course, so I always like to see my uh, graduates do well. Just a clarification before we get into the the course and the material. Uh, the book is not released yet. So if folks want to go sign up for release updates and discounts, they can go to profitsinchaos.com and you can, uh, I'm sure, post a link for that for people to sign in. Let's talk about the course. So the course came around essentially by my own journey. Uh, I have a computer science and engineering background, uh, but most of my career has been at the intersection of business and technology, at the intersection of technology and strategy. So what I found once I started learning about blockchain, I don't even remember now, years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, what I found that there are a number of multiple different disciplines that people need to understand to really appreciate what I call blockchain strategy. To me, it is way beyond just technology per se. So a lot of people had a technical viewpoint on blockchain, which is fine and, and required, uh, but they couldn't or didn't appreciate the business and strategy and economic aspects of, of what this transformation could bring. On the flip side, there were people who were looking at the business side of things, but didn't really appreciate the fundamentals of this foundational technology and how it is different from existing current state technology, which was essentially layered through databases or centralized databases. So what I realized is that what to really grasp the transformative potential of blockchain, one needs to understand multiple disciplines be it from a technical side, be it blockchain architecture, uh, foundations of how blockchain actually functions and what are the different types of architectures we could make. And then look at use cases from a point of view of business and strategy and disruption and innovation. Understand the economics behind some of the models that blockchains could enable. And then look at tokenization, look at identity, look at privacy look at how various industries are utilizing this foundational technology. That's a big one for a lot of people because folks tend to think about use cases that they're familiar with or the industry perhaps that they work in. But if you start looking at applications of blockchain and even new protocols that are being developed, you will find that it is applied, or it can be, and it is now certainly being applied to a number of different verticals and number of different spaces. And just looking at that breadth of, of applications, something as foundational as the internet allows people to challenge their imagination and then say, okay, what use cases can we create? What exactly can we do with it in our space? And I think that was a profound learning for my personal growth. And then when I started talking to a lot of executives in uh, enterprises, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 enterprises, and started talking to startup founders and startup executives on the other side, 
what I found that there is a huge missing link. It's almost like there are few camps here. One is the enterprise camp. They will not see, they, they sometimes refuse to see what startups find valuable in, in the space. Then there is the startup camp that, that don't see how or why enterprises wouldn't change their processes and business models because there is a more efficient and better way of doing things. There is the technical camp, which only views blockchain through a mere lens of technical uh, details. Uh, they wouldn't widen their lens to understand business models that could be created. And then there is the business folks that don't understand or refuse to dive deeper into technical aspects. And they treat blockchain as yet another technology. You know, quotes I've heard, oh, you know, Java came around and and then uh, .NET came around. This is just one of those things. And it, it really isn't. So it was important for me to create a comprehensive curriculum that is multidisciplinary. So we go beyond understanding blockchain merely as a technology, but understand the transformative impact it is creating and it can potentially create more as a strategy. Hence the name Blockchain Strategy for Business Leaders. So here we are. It's been a few years since uh, I've taught that course. And uh, now we are actually about to release the on-demand video version of the course uh, later this year. So uh, folks listening should be able to just click on a few links and, and sign up and and go through the same course that you went through in person. In fact, it's more advanced now with a lot more modules on on metaverse and uh, you know stable coins and uh, you know whose currency is it anyways, etc. So a lot of bonus material since the time you went through it. Right, because at that time we uh, did it. Um, there were only a few stable coins, but we saw that different coins were being added uh, mm -hmm. very very rapidly. And I think one thing when you mentioned about the course, right, one aspect that I really enjoyed was that it built that framework. You built the framework where we talked about the different applications. We talked about the different uh, the methods of transacting business, how we actually built the trust, the integrity built into it. I think that was one of the really key aspects that I really enjoyed about the, uh, the way you taught that course. Yeah, thank you. So I think most people don't who who don't get into the architecture side of things don't appreciate that there's a lot of uh, improvement being done to protocols. And if you look at the tech stack, the protocols layer and then layering applications on top of it allow you, allow businesses to transact in a way that has never been possible before. So it is redefining their business processes, and it is also redefining their, their business models. And the more companies can understand that and, and see where the ball is going, where the world is going to be in a few years, the better they'll be at understanding which use cases make sense in, in their spaces, in, in their verticals. Okay. So we, the, the key point I want my audience to take away is we want to help with the educational piece of it. So we can, we'll provide some links and information how we can actually help people to get that educational uh, foundation, the, the basic principles. Because I like how we, we talked about this before, 
you're building out clients or, or entities are building out an ecosystem and frameworks and taking baby steps to get to the future. And that's what they're, they're going to do. So that those uh, that education will help them. The second part we're talking about right now is the uh, the use cases. So and I think that if we actually have a chance to sit down with the client and say, look, let's build some use cases out for you. Let's use some examples and we can actually build out those use cases. I think that would give them a different uh, uh, trajectory and a different perspective of how they can actually apply that to their business. And again, taking those, that ecosystem, taking those frameworks and building it out step-by-step step, using like baby steps to get to where they want to go. Yeah. Uh, in my experience in teaching executives over the last you know five, six years, what I've found is, is one of those following scenarios. There's a, a category, a type of executive that hasn't yet jumped what I call intellectual hurdles. If you're on one side of the hurdle, you view things from current state, meaning how the world is today, how your systems are today, how your processes are today, how your business relationships are today. If you have jumped the intellectual hurdle and you're on the other side of it, then you perceive the world where things could go. You understand what is so unique and different about blockchain as a foundational technology. How is it different from business processes and application layered through centralized databases? What is the nature of data? Where is it? Who owns the data? Where is the privacy for such data? What is the value of such data. I think companies have started to realize now what is the value of the data, but the question is, how do you ensure that you still maintain your competitive advantage, but yet easily share data across your supply chain partners, taking a supply chain example. So there's a category, as I said, who have not jumped the intellectual hurdles. So we help them jump those intellectual hurdles. There are four or five specific ones that I've found that folks have a difficult time getting to the other side. And then what I've found is that a lot of companies now, I mean, this is 2023, they have uh, obviously heard of blockchain, either their, their um, CEO or, or somebody in the C-suite uh, or even some board member went to some conference, read some uh, articles about crypto usually, and they they have this, um, they conflate crypto with blockchain and all the conversations about blockchain are just layered with crypto talk. And, you know, their level of interest wanes or, or wades based on the price of Bitcoin, which is interesting in a media-obsessed market and a media-obsessed country like, like we are. Um, so that's another category of people that know about blockchain, but they haven't discovered specific use cases that they want to develop POCs, pilots, and then eventually products on. Then there's the next set of, uh, of executives who have jumped the intellectual hurdle. They understand the value proposition. They see where things could go, but they are alone in their organization. They're the only ones that do. Their peers don't seem to appreciate it. They always find faults with, with the potential of it. Uh, and then they don't have teams within their company to develop solutions further. 
So we get quite a few of those types as well that they have um, bought into the, the transformative impact, but they don't have teams to develop solutions and they don't have uh, teams to even develop business cases and a technology architecture around it mm-hmm. because they haven't made an institutional effort uh, towards developing this, these uh, uh, POCs. So the basic question I ask executives, and you know, if you're listening and you are a, a senior executive in, in a company, this is the question you must ask yourself. Is blockchain an opportunity, a threat, or a risk for you? And how so? And if you can't answer this, these two questions essentially convincingly, then there needs to be further investigation. There needs to be further education and there needs to be further awareness of how things are changing in the world. What are the games being played? How's your competitive landscape shifting, uh, both on the technology side and also on the, the, the strategic marketplace ecosystem side? And that is our endeavor in in this course, blockchain strategy for business leaders to help you understand that and then go further and workshop these four days essentially to come up with your top three use cases that would make sense in your vertical, in your environment to find gaps where you're not filling those yet and then identify those three use cases. And then we can go further and layer in business model frameworks on top of those use cases. Mm-hmm. Use cases are not just technical use cases. To me, they have to make a business sense. At the, some point, we have to talk about revenue. At some point, we have to talk about competitive analysis. At some point, we have to talk about business processes. So it goes beyond just quote-unquote technical use case. Unless it makes sense on a on 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 a business model and a and and a and a revenue standpoint, the adoption becomes really difficult within the company, right? So, the question that you must ask yourself: If I don't do this, what is the risk? If I don't create more efficient, visible secure business processes and data processes, what is the risk for us? Perhaps there is none. Perhaps the risk is that your company won't exist in in a few years. Because like it or not, creative destruction, an economic term, is always underplayed. Disruption is happening. You like it or not, somebody else is going to knock on your door and have a better value proposition, have a different value proposition for your customers. The landscape of technology is changing and landscape of of business is changing all the time. So disruption is inevitable. The only question in my mind and your mind should be, are you surviving disruption or are you creating disruption? Those are the only two choices. And that's the subtitle of my book as well. Okay. And I think that when you said that, what that 
about opportunity, risk, and threat. And I think that by sitting down with different leaders, because I we do a lot of consulting with them, especially in the IT framework, and we're, we're talking to them, I think the recent example of the pandemic can actually really help build those the, out those those use mm-hmm. cases because that everybody was impacted by that some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. And and I think just sitting down and say, okay, let's talk about the opportunities that you guys had at that time, or did you have them? You know, what were the risks? How many customers did you actually lose? Did you actually go back and quantify that? Uh, did you measure that? You know, mm-hmm. did you measure the customer satisfaction? And I think mm-hmm. that if people go back and look at that and saying, we know that that, that particular pandemic can happen again. And now you should be better prepared for it. If, if, if it does happen again, what are you going to do? And I like how you said that somebody's going to knock on the door. It's going to either be your customers or it can be your competition. Somebody's going to go back. It's, it's mm-hmm. not what happens to you. It's how you respond to what happens to you. And I think that actually building out those use cases to those three different categories, opportunity, risk, and threat is a great idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So talking about the pandemic, you mentioned supply chain earlier. So one thing was made very obvious by the pandemic, sort of inadvertently, that our supply chains are very outdated. The infrastructure on our supply chains is outdated. The the business processes on our supply chain is outdated. And by outdated, I mean, they're still using technology from 30, 40 years ago. The word should be dilapidated. And we have never looked at supply chains in a holistic way where there are choke points across the world. So you remember that one incident where there was a ship blocked in the Suez Canal or blocking the Suez Canal and yes. the rest of the supply chain just, just practically shut down? Yeah, I remember so that, that. Yeah, that's an example of a, of a choke point, although a physical one. Um, I also remember, this is in the United States, there were a lot of uh, issues at ports on the United States. Port, Port of Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Port of Long Beach, some ports in California. And those seemingly practical, small operational issues exposed a lot of inefficiencies that we have in our supply chains. Right from you know, shipping to logistics to how does any product really get to your shores? And the fact of the matter is we are more connected in the world today than ever before, but yet we are more vulnerable in those internetwork connections than we are ever before. So what is the answer? The pandemic just exposed all of those fault lines very directly. Uh, and for some people, the answers may not lie in technology. Uh, they may lie in, in processes, and that's fair. Uh, they may lie in policies. That's fair. I think we have to take a, take a holistic look. I also believe that there are a lot of companies where there is inertia. There's inertia. There is um, There is this attitude of living in the current state, which means that's just how we do things. That's how we've always done things. That's, it's like, you know, that's how my grandma used to make this recipe. So it shall not and cannot and will not change. And what that does is 
it leads them to a comfort place because their business has been running for so many years and they've done well. They they have their uh, you know small percentage of profit margins established and they know their ecosystem. They have their set of partners. They have those business relationships established. So they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to change much. They look at incremental change in small pockets of business processes. They are reluctant, even I would use the word scared and averse to looking at a transformative end-to-end change. And okay, they're scared. But what's going to happen is there will be other companies who are digitally native, who will use the latest technologies, who would upend change disrupt the current state of processes to give better options and more efficient business processes to to their partners and better options to their customers. And that's a cycle you cannot escape. So all those that are still stuck in the current state mindset need to be brought over to the future state mindset. I don't care what the current state looks like. You do care, I understand. But in my role as a change agent, who cares what your current state is? Let's look at where the world is going and what the future state is going to be. And if you cannot envision yourself in that future state, then we have some changes to make. Mm -hmm. The tiger is at the door. You can close the door and imagine or close your eyes and picture that the tiger is not there, but the tiger is at the door. And the pandemic showed us that. We are so fragile beyond any papers or, you know, academic papers or calculations that we may have done for redundancy and and things of that nature. Pandemic just exposed that we are so fragile. Um, And I think we can find those answers. So this was, as you said, a great wake-up call for us to look for efficiencies because it shook the current state. It shook the normal day-to-day, this is how we live life and this is how things are supposed to be mindset. So it made people question individually at a personal level, but mm-hmm. also at a at a business level. Yes. And I, and I looked at our own business because we were running uh, tens of thousands of feet of uh, uh, cabling for our clients. We were doing... Uh, kept drops and actually installing networking um, routes for our customers. We were at like one site, every site, there were a whole bunch of different sites. We would do like 50 drops. So we needed some um, some low voltage cabling. And with us, we actually had a normal supplier that we went to and they actually had a problem because you no, know, actually one of those external factors that you can't control is governance. We can't control what the governments do, especially if you're getting from certain places where there's a there's shutdown or there's restrictions. But what we did was we actually started to get creative like that, too. And so, you know what, what what other options do we have out there? What other supply routes do we actually have that's available to us? And we found alternative sources or resources. And we actually were able to get the cabling, still finish our job on time because we actually did use the uh, different different levels of supply chain to actually open up the different routes for us. And I think about that. A lot of times we use the old fashioned letters of credits with it, with whatever you're doing with it. And now when I think about with blockchain, when you can actually go back and put so many different uh, factors of trust in it, you don't have to worry about it going from 
this particular country to make it to this port and this port delivered to another port and that port delivered to a truck and that truck to deliver to a distribution center. There's so many different routes for it. And I think that once we actually implement something like a blockchain, explain that to our clients, that the chain of custody, people get paid when a chain of custody transfers to the other person. And it speeds up, it builds up trust, it builds up integrity, and it makes that things go a lot faster as far as the uh, the supply chain process. And I think that that's one of the elements that we learn uh, how to actually implement and make it faster for our clients, where our speed to market or, or um, what we called um, just-in-time type inventory, it got even faster, you know? Right. Yeah, so if you look at applying blockchain to these challenges, there's a whole suite of use cases or categories of use cases that blockchain can be utilized for. And chain of asset custody that you mentioned is is a huge one. And you can look at that from various point of views, like what is the asset? Which asset are we talking about? The asset could just be data assets or it could be physical assets. And literally everything that is transported physically across the planet is an asset. It needs to be tracked at a granular level. Um, and maybe earlier we didn't have the set of technologies to do it, but now we do. So the way I think blockchain can help there is one, if you look at the entire supply chain of any asset, you will find that there are a number of players, number of partners, and most of them don't share the same set of systems. So what happens is, let's say there are eight partners, eight different companies, and each one of them have their own systems. And by systems, I basically mean database or centralized database that they control, database uh, layered processes and applications. So what happens is, let's say I'm moving this, this can of soda, this can of soda water from its origin to the retail store to my hands. There's eight partners that are involved and each one of them have their own system. So they spend a lot of computation power, transaction cost, essentially sending data from one system to the other and then reconciling it over and over again. Blockchain can remove those inefficiencies by creating a layer of data visibility across the partners that is secure and immediately visible as soon as the data is published to all the partners at one time. The analogy I use in the course is the shared wall, if you remember. Mm -hmm. Yes. So. You can keep records in, a, in, in your own ledgers, or you can publish them on a shared wall for the whole town to see. And as soon as the record are published, it's con considered to be immutable. They cannot be changed, and they cannot be transformed any which way. So what we enable essentially is trust, that the data is accurate and it's timely. And just doing that can cut out so many inefficiencies in the processes and systems that folks currently have. Does that make sense? It, it does. And so, we're, I mean, we're thinking about that, what you just said there, it it also build, builds up the, the business relationships mm -hmm. because you have that trust factor into it. 
And when you drastically improve the trust with it, the integrity goes up. You talked about the privacy with it, and it does make a big difference. And I think yeah. that the more that, because we're all kind of connected, it's, it's, a, it's a global world. When you actually think about all the different suppliers all around the world there, and you think about transmitting, like you said, even with transmitting data, I mean, what we have data, rest, data in use, and data in transit, when you think about how, how the data works where data is critical. And no matter what we're actually using with the utilizing with the blockchain for it, if we actually build trust into that, it does make a big difference there. And it helps business and uh, think about a little bit more efficient, help them think a little bit about how they can um, how they can actually um, go to market a lot faster. You know, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about business relationships, I think that's a that's a factor that companies need to look at more. Because what's happened is they, a lot of these, uh, I call them legacy verticals, like supply chain, logistics, et cetera. They have already established business relationships. Everybody's got a role and they have a little percentage of, of value or, or profit that they extract along that supply chain. And it's already been agreed upon, negotiated, et cetera, and, and people don't want to rock the boat. What blockchain forces you to do, when you look at a process end-to-end -to, -end to create efficiencies, it forces you to consider who is actually, actually adding value in the supply chain or who's just extracting a toll without adding value. So the, then the next question becomes, who should be part of this network? and who should be eliminated. And that's a question that's very uncomfortable for people. And then the next question becomes, well, where is the value coming from? Is it just data or is it any other form of value that they add? Can I design a system where there is a, let's call a layer of data sharing, which is trustworthy underlying the entire network of partners, and then we add value in other ways where we are sharing this, this set of data as a common utility and we're extracting business value with other functions. Now that conversation makes people really uncomfortable because there are companies today that don't add much value, but they're mm -hmm. still part of the chain and they're still part of extracting toll across the supply chain. And you will find that there will be companies that could just be eliminated because of that. It, it's a threat for them, right? Hundred percent agree. And it goes back to what you said about the opportunity, threat, and the risk. And if people start going back and when they create their use case and say, "Are you adding value? If you're not adding value, you might be the next blockbuster. You might be the next Sears. You might be the next Montgomery Wards. Where are those people? Those companies are today." Kmart, Kresge, they're not around anymore. Even big fortune companies are not around. And I think that's going to make a transition, I should say. That's what I'm looking for. And the next uh, a few years here, as more and more companies should be looking at this as a, as a possible way of actually doing business, building up that relationship, building up the trust, and actually um, and how they can actually change it so they can be more competitive and more of a value add for other clients, you know, for their customers. Right. Rube, we talked about use cases. We talked about building frameworks. We talked about the value of uh, having education um, and to, to, so people can understand how to apply those use cases. 
Uh, we talk about the business relationships with uh, the trust, the privacy, and the integrity there. Uh, one other thing, I think one of the key aspects that I really enjoyed about learning with blockchain is the um, the security there. And and I look at how the um, when you actually have the security applied, well, people right now, let me rephrase that. Right now, a lot of the big concerns that a lot of C, uh, um, uh, chief security officers and CIOs and CTOs have is cybersecurity. People breaching, mm-hmm. and taking their information, taking their data, their intellectual property, their research and development. There's so many different ways that people can try to steal your information. I like how the blockchain actually has that, that like you said, make the uh, transactions are immutable, but and you have the privacy in there. Can you actually speak to a little bit? And I think this is a really huge value add for companies when you talk about uh, the security that actually protects your information and how it's actually encrypted. Uh, can we uh, touch base a little bit on that? Because I think that's a really good aspect that people really should look at right now, especially when it comes to uh, keeping their information confidential and secure for their customers and their clients. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So that, in fact, was the the opening and the topic for my first TEDx talk a few years ago. So um, your listeners can go check that out. I stated in, what was that year? Maybe 2019, all these hacks were happening and they haven't stopped, right? You remember just out of you know memory, what was it? Um, what's the... The data credit data company. Oh, Equifax. Equifax. April, right. November, started in November 2016, and they didn't find out till like nine right. months later. <laughs> right. Equifax and then um, you know, Target, Home Depot, the federal government. Uh, it doesn't end. Like I've stopped keeping track because there were so many and and they continue to happen. So the interesting part for me is we're not learning our lesson. I think folks have sort of given up on that. They've said it's a cat and mouse game. We're just going to keep playing it without any regard to keeping data safe for the consumer or even for the business, even for a government. Uh, meaning that we are okay if hacks happen once in a while and then we'll pay for it uh, in whatever ways and then we'll move on. That seems to be the model. That seems to be the practice now. And one of the biggest challenges and why hacks are even possible is because of how we store information and how we store data. So to me, again, it all goes back to centralized databases and even with cloud these days, right? Cloud is in, is the next evolution uh, in, in distributed storage. Uh, and the cloud aspect is definitely better than than centralized databases. But the fact of the matter is the companies are not able to keep our data or their data secure. So we must think of a different model. We can't just accept, oh, that's how it's going to be. It's, you know, it's cops and robbers all day long, just keep playing this game. Um, I don't think that, that, I don't think that's going to stop, but that cannot be the only solution. We have to think of a different model, how we store data. And I believe blockchain is the answer for a lot of different kinds of critical data. Uh, now, before we get deeper into security aspect of blockchain, I do want to emphasize a lot of people have this notion that blockchain is 
are completely hack proof, which is not true. The only phrase that makes sense to me is they are tamper resistant. They're not as easy to tamper with as the current state standardized, uh, the the current state standard of of storing data centrally uh, and allowing uh, security being a very different perspective than what it is today. So to me, the idea of using blockchains that force encryption, that force distributed or decentralized storage versus centralized storage, that makes the entire difference in in the model. And there are a number of companies that have woken up to that. If you see, there are a lot of protocols that now allow uh, or provision such storage and and, uh, uh, transportation of data. You know, if you want to think of that way. And a lot of companies have started to look at those, those protocols as the base layer for storing critical data in a, in a privacy-preserving, secure way. And I think we will start seeing more and more of these decentralized protocols and decentralized applications being the preferred choice. Uh, see, if you look at what's happening in, in the world of what we call big tech, privacy is the battleground. Privacy is where the war is being played between Apple and Facebook and Google and and Meta and uh, a number of these players. Privacy is going to be a big, not only a talking point, but a big determinant of revenues and profits. If you remember a few years ago, I think what a couple of years ago now, Apple changed their policy for apps to not track data. And that year, Facebook reported an impact of about $10 billion, negative impact of $10 billion on their revenues because of this change. Mm -hmm. So Apple's taken this view of privacy as a service and we will be the protector of your privacy and mask all the credit cards and and, give some level of control to the user. I think that's where the game is going. You will see more and more consent and control given back to the user mm-hmm. and given back to users that are creating a lot of the data on the internet. Meaning if you are a creator, let's say you are, you and I are creating this podcast. We, we have this video, you upload it on YouTube. Who owns that data? Who owns that video? Right? That becomes a question. And today there is a model, but I think that model is shifting. Uh, I think these companies will have to share a lot of revenues with the community that creates that data. So the latest case is Reddit. If you look, Reddit has a mod strike going on these days. Well, last I checked last week at least. And the basic issue there is they Reddit as the company said, that we're going to start monetizing APIs and start giving other companies access to their APIs to, to 
Garner data, you know, uh, uh, practically for training AI models, etc. And the mods were basically ignored or removed from that economic consideration. And they said, no, we are the ones who have created this data. So you must give us a revenue share from any revenue that may come out of garnering and, and scrolling through this data that we have created. And I think they're right. Same goes for creators on Instagram uh, or Twitter or, or YouTube or even TikTok. I mean, eventually, so think about this way. Let's say you're a really popular, well-received Instagram influencer. You have a few million followers. Tomorrow, Instagram doesn't like you, the company. They shut down your account. What happens to those 8 million followers you had? Your entire business, your brand, everything was set up on that. So I think there will be a model in the future where you could take those followers with you and transport them to a different network if, if you didn't like or if this network became uh, antagonistic to you. And then more revenue must be shared with these users. And this, this goes beyond consumer industries. I think this will, this will impact a lot of other industries too. So think about um, financial services. So today you get a lot of offers, you, me, everybody in America, you know, everybody's got our credit information, our spending data patterns, and we get a lot of offers. The question is, did I give approval? Did I give consent for these companies to capture my data? No. From my point of view, all of these credit rating agencies are illegal or should be. Because at no point, I may have gotten a credit card and they then report the data to the credit company, to, to the credit rating agencies like Equifax and TransUnion, et cetera. At no point did I give that company any right to read my data and hold it. And then on top of it, they have the audacity to not keep it safe. Which is to me, if you take something from me, it is your responsibility to keep it safe. But the, the their challenge is they don't view it in that way. They don't say this is your data. Right. They don't believe that the consumer, the user, whose data it is naturally and organically, I created it, it's, it's connected to my, my name and my patterns. And same for, for you, Maurice, and same for anybody listening. You created it. It is yours organically and naturally, but you are not given the rights to it. So the model I see in the future is we will essentially have blockchain-based data exchanges where when you choose to, with your consent, to the level, to the degree that you choose to, you can share data with other companies for a price. Now, that may be minuscule price based on the type of data it is, or it could be really high price. That's a relative question. But there is an exchange that is happening. You are here to, quote unquote, sell your data. And the companies can then buy your data in some way. It is not going to be free for all. It is not that the company just gets to use and profit from that data. 
without giving anything back to the user, the consumer that created that data. So I think that's where things are going. Interesting. And I think that I like how you said that. And um, when I think about the leadership and I think about the, like you said, people, you get the example. So this is grandma's recipe. She's always made it this way <laughs> and it's always going to remain this way. And I think that a lot of our leaders are, are still fundamentally following the same principle, even mm-hmm. leaders in the big technology companies. And I like how uh, the GDPR actually have changed the rules and, and changed that. And I think when we get to like um, Web 3.0, Web 3.0 plus, or, you know, well, that's another conversation right there that mm-hmm. it's really going to make a big difference as to actually who owns that data. And I think that it goes back to the leadership. And I think that a lot of the leadership uh, people need to wake up and need, need to acknowledge that that information. And I like the example with the Facebook and the Apple there and saying that when people are going to going to gravitate more towards uh, freedom, they're going to gravitate to and say, this is my information. I own it. And they're going to want to have control over that information. And I think that the companies that adapt the quickest will probably be the companies that's going to benefit from those changes in the very near future here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think they they are aware. It's not that they're oblivious. Um, Mm -hmm. I think their strategy, which I can see why it makes sense, would be to create products that would, in, in effect, cannibalize their current products, but cater to a different uh, model a different uh, mindset in the new products. So if you think of, uh, look at Facebook um, and and Twitter. So I think Facebook just came to, came out with a, a new product yesterday called Threads. Yes. So look at that. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg has been talking about uh, how what is that product called Blue Sky that has influenced him, um, which has these sort of components of user consent, user control, user's ability to navigate, uh, to, you know, to, to transport their own data and their own set of followers, their own content to other places, and more of a revenue share with, with the user that generates that content. So I think those models are emerging. We don't know how long it will take, but there is certainly competitive pressure on privacy-preserving, user-consent-based models. And that's where we can see the world shifting. Now, the biggest challenge is going to be on the consumer side. I think consumers have also given up on privacy. They, They have just assumed that we just create this stuff for free for these companies and such is the nature of things. So I asked some of my friends in Silicon Valley this question rhetorically, is privacy dead? Should we just stop expecting it? And some of them believe so. In fact, most of them believe so. Uh, So there is this, you know, it seems like that's a utopian ideal that can never be achieved. Yet there are others that are developing search engines, that are developing data exchanges, uh, that follow more of the user consent and self-sovereign identity principles. So it's a, it's a struggle. It, that's where the fault line is. And let's see who wins. But I do believe that if things have to change, that consumers have to support 
privacy-preserving applications, privacy-preserving models, privacy-preserving protocols. Hmm. I, I like that. So when you think about that, my last question to you would be, what do you think would be the, the greatest change or the, the greatest uh, development that's going to actually happen in the next few years that's actually going to push more and more clients to look at solutions? I know we're looking at Metaverse. We're looking at some of these other uh, Web 3.0 and 3.1, 3.0 plus and whatever it's going to be. Uh, what do you think is going to be for blockchain? It's going to be that one factor that's going to say, look, guys, we really need to take a look at this. You know, yeah. what do you think that's going to be? Yeah. I think there's a lot of work being done on the what we call the Web3 infrastructure side. So those would become the enablers, essentially those protocols and platforms that would allow applications to sit on top of them uh, where the underlying architecture is more decentralized. So to me, it's... It, so think about it this way. Let, let's let's go back and look in the last 40 years of internet's development, right? We are in 2020s. If you go back 30, 40 years and see how network computing developed and internet developed. Today, you and I are talking on Zoom uh, and recording this and we use the internet in all different ways, but we don't even consider for a second what is the underlying protocol? How does TCP IP work? How does HTTPS work? And as a user, uh, you don't really care till it works, right? I think that's till we get to that point uh, using blockchain-based infrastructure and blockchain-based protocols, essentially Web3 infrastructure, we'll get to that point when Nobody will call it Web3 or blockchain-based. That would just be the normal. You wouldn't even need to know. Like you don't go look at how Facebook's code works today to send that picture, right? You wouldn't need to and you wouldn't care as an average consumer. So be it in supply chain, be it in payments, be it in, in user-generated data, be it in uh, financial services, or even uh, things like you know, healthcare records, uh, be it in uh, advertising, digital advertising, we will come to a point where that would be the normal without no no one even wondering or questioning. And I think once we get there, a lot of people will start to pivot onto that level of infrastructure. You know, mm -hmm. before that happens, there's going to be this this transition phase of, let's say, going from Web two to Web three. Uh, and that's going to be the growing pains. There's going to be some innovation leaders who will uh, be on the forefront of that. And there are already. Uh, and then there's going to be laggards who will wait for all this infrastructure to be developed by somebody else to then go to the next world. You know, So th that is the biggest change in, in my mind when a lot of the enabling infrastructure technology gets to the Web3 uh, type of implementation, wherein you don't even care what is underlying this. It just needs to work. And it works in a, in a very uh, secure, safe, privacy-preserving manner. Excellent. Excellent answer. Thank you for that.
Well, Rube, I know I can. We can talk about this and go into so many different in-depth, detailed yes. levels on each one of those two particular categories we talked about. I mean, we talked about education, use cases. We talk about privacy, security, relationships, and and uh, even a future. We dabbed a little bit on that too. So this has been a very enlightening conversation, and I really want to thank you and my guests. And I'll put the uh, have the information listed on the uh, podcast, so if they want if people want to contact you, they can do that. And uh, when I actually start meeting with my clients, I'm going to talk to them about let's start with the basics. Let's start with some some uh, some education, and you know maybe we could talk about a little training for them. Um, so we can actually build those use cases up. I think that that is critical that we build those use cases up and go back and look at the rest, the opportunities and the threats and see how we can actually escalate their business for the future. So I want to thank you for providing that information. This has been enlightening. Thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And for folks who are interested, uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and continue this conversation. Um, I'm sure you, you'll share the links uh, for uh, the book. Uh, so feel free to sign up for release dates and, and uh, uh, discounts there. And also uh, sign up for Blockchain Strategy for Business Leaders video course. When it's uh, dropped, we will share it with your users. Excellent. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Thank you. Take care.